It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Thank you so much for joining me on Discover Your Spiritual Identity. And I pray that you have a spiritual awakening in your life, a grand discovery today of who you are in Christ, a different facet of what your inheritance is by virtue of your spiritual identity as a born-again, blood-washed child of God. This episode is going to continue last week's theme, and that is the revelation of what it is to be the blessed of the Father. That's a name for God's people found in a parable in Matthew chapter 25. One of the last parables that Jesus gave, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And of course, God's people are represented as sheep and the unrighteous are represented as goats. And the sheep are at his right hand, which is the position of power and authority and intimacy and friendship and trust. And there's so many things conveyed by the thought of who your right-hand man is or who that person is that you entrust with something you would never entrust anyone else with. And when Jesus refers to his sheep that way, to the sheep on his right hand, the king says, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. He's saying, I'm going to share authority with you. You're my right-hand people. I'm going to entrust you with the universe to come, the new creation. That's just utterly amazing to me. He says, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I saw something in that statement that I've never seen before just a few minutes ago when I was going over this material for this episode. And it just dawned on me that that declaration stretches from eternity past to eternity future. He says, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's not a temporary inheritance. That's an infinite inheritance stretching out into the infinite future. But he says, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. And so God's original plan in the very beginning included you. This ultimate destiny that is unfolding before you has been in the mind of God forever. So from eternity past to eternity future, God has determined to pour out his blessing in your life. Now, that ought to build confidence if anything does. Now, we're going to jump past that parable and go into some other thoughts. What is the definition of the word blessed? To be blessed means to be happy. It means to be supremely happy, enriched with benefits, spiritually prosperous, and highly favored of God. The word blessed also has a meaning that you have attained qualities of character that God considers to be the highest good. 
In other words, many times the word blessed is attached to various character traits that God shines on with his favor, that God uh, praises the development of in his people. And we'll see that as we continue. And so character and blessedness are inseparable. If you want to have a blessed life, then go after the character of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you think like he thinks, talk like he talks, act like he acts, and react like he reacts, and blessedness will be yours. It's very revealing to me that the original Hebrew words and the original Greek words that are translated blessed are also translated happy quite often. And so they're inseparable. If you achieve or receive, more correctly, blessedness in your life, automatically happiness is yours. This world is all about people going after happiness because of the right kind of possessions or the right relationships or the right careers or the right uh, kind of goals in life. It's all about, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. That's one thing that motivates people to the max. However, the best way to encounter happiness in your life is to do the things that attract blessedness in your life. Because once again, the two things are inseparable. To be blessed means to be happy. But more than that, it means to be supremely happy. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. And that word can also be translated blessed. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Very important to see that because happiness is not elusive. Happiness is grounded in your relationship with God. There are always conditions attached to promises. And there are always divine expectations attached to blessings and blessedness. Almost always, when you find the word blessed, you'll find a proclamation of a promise, and also you will find something that God reveals as a condition. Let's go to Psalm 1, verse 1. All through the Psalms, you find this language, and it's a dominant theme, so much so that it begins, the whole book of 150 Psalms begins with the word blessed. Listen to it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You ought to memorize those three verses and lay claim to that. If you are the blessed of the Father, these are promises connected to that status. Blessed is the man, and here's the conditions, three of them, right in a row, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Listen, you don't need counsel from people that are not walking with God. If you go to a counselor, don't go to someone who's depending only on Freud and Carl Jung and others who dominate that arena. 
go to a Christian counselor. Go to someone who knows God, who walks with God, who knows that prayer is the ultimate source of peace. Go to those that are godly in their lifestyle. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Listening to the advice of people that are not listening to God is not a good decision. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Can you see how there's a degeneration, so to speak, from walking to standing to sitting? The more you get around negative people, the more you're going to slow down and come to a standstill altogether. And notice how first you're walking, so you've got a goal, you've got a purpose, you're going for it, but then you just are standing in the path of sinners. You slow down to the point where you start listening to the ungodliness of the world around you. And then it corrupts you to the point where you just sit down and become a scornful person. And God said, you're blessed if you don't let that happen. Well, what's the cure? The next line tells us, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the word law in the Hebrew is Torah. It refers to the first five books of the Bible, which revealed 613 commandments that they had to live up to to come under this fountain of blessing. And if you are revealed as a blessed person just by delighting in the law, how much more are you blessed of the Father if you delight in the entire 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? And in his law, or in the entirety of the Bible, how much more so, again, you meditate day and night. And so you don't just reserve the word for one day a week, one hour of that day. It's something that you allow to influence your mind and your decisions and your thoughts and your attitudes all day long and all night long. You have a check in your spirit and you check with what you know about the word before you say something, before you do something or act in a certain way. And God said, if that's your MO, if that's your mode of operation, then you can expect something. Here's the promise rolling in like a red carpet. He says, you will be like a tree that is planted by rivers of water, rivers of water. And you will not fear when heat comes because while the world around you is drying up with despair, you're nourished with the river of life and you will bring forth your fruit in your season. Now, know that that's not 12 months out of the year. And it's not 24 hours out of every day. There are certain points in every day and every week and every month and every year where God comes to you in a special way or uses you in a special way. And all the other parts of your life that don't seem as fulfilling are worth it just to have those moments when heaven comes down to earth in your life. You'll bring forth fruit in your season. Your leaf also will not wither. I love that promise. That just means there's always going to be an evergreen thing about you. That when you're, when you're nine years old, when you're uh, what classed as a, a person of old age, I guess, you're still prospering in the kingdom of God. You're still bringing forth fruit. 
you're like a palm tree that uh, the older it is, the higher it grows, the more its leaves are toward heaven. It's all the way up at the top of the tree. All right. Whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. I challenge you to claim that right now. I challenge you to claim that whatever I do in my life, I'm one of the blessed of the father. It's going to prosper. It will prosper according to God's determination and his predetermination, but it will prosper because he said it, whatever my hands find to do, he'll make it prosper. He did it for Joseph when Joseph was a slave, when Joseph was in prison. So prosperity doesn't always mean the best of circumstances for you, but it does mean that God will get in your circumstances and his blessing will filter through even in dark places. I claim that for you, and I claim that for me. Now, let me show you one of the most amazing promises of blessing in the Old Testament, and it's found in the last book of the Old Testament, the prophecies of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And try me now in this. The King James Version says, Prove me now herewith. Put me to the test. See if I won't back up my word with a performance, God is saying. Bring all the tithe. That's 10% of whatever substance you bring in. Whatever God blesses you with, financially and materially. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing where there won't be room enough to receive it. That's immense. That's heavenly extravagance poured out into your life. Such a blessing, there's no room to receive it. What does that mean? It means overflow, overflow. You become so blessed there's more than you can use up personally, so it overflows to other people, which is actually the ultimate goal of being among the blessed. That's what God said to Abraham. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And he said, I'll make you a blessing. In other words, there will be an overflow. In fact, so much so, God said, every nation, every people of the world, every kindred tongue and group culturally in this world will be blessed because of you, Abraham. Think of that. God poured it in so it could pour out. But what did God mean like this? If Prove me now. Why did God tie it to the tithe? Why was it so important for him to mention the tithe with this overflow of blessing? I think you've got to inspect and examine this passage of Scripture within the context historically of when it was spoken in order to understand what God meant. Because see, right after Malachi gave this prophecy, the third chapter of a four-chapter book, there's 400 years of prophetic silence. And during that time, the conditions were anything but an overflowing time of blessing. Quite the opposite. It was intense oppression. 
They were overtaken by the Grecian Empire that dominated them for a season. They were overtaken then afterward by the Roman Empire and about the time of the coming of Jesus. That empire was in control of God's people, subjecting them to all kinds of ill treatment, abusive treatment. I don't see any overflowing blessing. Four centuries of oppression. And there was a little period of time in there where the Maccabees finally got freedom, but then they were crushed again. So I was reading this a number of years ago and praying, saying, God, when did this happen? Because you don't give a promise that you don't back up with performance. And if you said it, there was a point where it came to pass. And I said, I don't see it. And God said, turn the page. And I thought that was kind of curious, but I turned the page of my Bible And he said, turn another page. And I turned another page in my Bible, and my eyes fell on the passage where John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the River Jordan, and the windows of heaven opened. And the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, and God said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And God poured out a blessing on the firstborn Son of God, It could not be contained within the boundaries of Israel. It could not be contained within the boundaries of Judaism either, the religion that they embraced, because it had to overflow to every kindred tongue, people, and nation into the Gentile world. It was such an immense blessing, the salvation that Jesus bought for us through his crucifixion and resurrection. That could not be contained in Israel. Well, let me back up again. Why did God connect it to the tithe? Because if the Jews had become so discouraged during that 400-year span of time when they were oppressed by Gentile empires, that they quit supporting the work of God, they quit supporting the Levitical priesthood, they quit supporting the temple, if they had just backed up, gotten bitter, and said, no, This isn't working for me. I'm I'm not going to give my money. I hardly have any anyway because we're such poor people under Roman rule or under Grecian rule. If they had done that, then there would not have been a culture ready to receive the Messiah when he came. If they had stopped supporting the work of God during that hard and difficult time. So don't ever quit backing up the missionaries, the pastors, the evangelists that you support. Because even in hard times, the work of God is the most important thing of all. And of course, now it's not building up to the coming of the Lord the first time where he walks among us on the earth. It's building up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the greatest harvest that will ever take place in this world. And if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that the angel goes forth crying to the one who sits on a cloud. And of course, it's an image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And that's during the seven vials of wrath. So in the hardest times that are ahead of this planet, there will be the greatest harvest. So... Don't give up on God's work. Don't give up when times are hard. Keep supporting his work and 
bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And what is a storehouse? Any viable ministry. If you're a part of a local church, then that's where your tithe belongs. But then you can also give an offering beyond your local church to those that you feel committed to and those you believe in. Now let's jump into the New Testament when this blessing begins to overflow. There's a reason that the last word in the Old Testament is the word curse, and the first word of Jesus' first main sermon is the word blessed, because that really indicates and reveals the shift of emphasis. See, in the Old Testament, especially in the Mosaic Covenant, there was a dominance of curses. For instance, in Deuteronomy 28, there were 13 verses of blessings and blessed proclamations. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country, blessed going out, blessed coming in, etc., etc., 13 verses. But then there's 54 verses of over a hundred curses for the disobedient. And also there's that troubling scripture, Deuteronomy 27, 26, where God said, cursed is he who confirms not all the words of this law to do them. And as I mentioned a while ago, that was 613 commandments, 365 negative commandments, 248 positive commandments in the law. And God said, you're cursed if you do not confirm all 613. What tension, what pressure they must have felt to align and never fall short. Of course, we should all feel a passion to align with God's commandments, but not out of fear, out of love and devotion and worship and gratitude. See, but there was a dominance of curses and there was much more severe retribution for sin in the Old Testament. And so, Jesus came to change some of that in a radical way. And we find out how he did it in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, Christ has redeemed us. And the word Christ is really based more on the Greek. It's synonymous with the word Messiah, which is from the Hebrew Mashiach. And so I prefer to use the word Messiah. It means anointed one. But it says Christ has redeemed us, or the Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And then it goes on to say that the blessing of Abraham might pass on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. What a transformation is available under the new covenant. What a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. And what a price Jesus had to pay to make that happen. He became a curse for us. He tasted death for every man. He absorbed the curse that should have fallen on us because the original curse to Adam and Eve was, in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. So the ultimate sign of the curse is death. And that's mental death, emotional death, spiritual death, physical death, and ultimately eternal death. It's death opening its devouring mouth to swallow its prey in ever-increasing ways. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, which climaxes in death, 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us and tell me not to praise him, I'm going to spend eternity lifting my hands and shouting his praise because he solved an unsolvable dilemma. He gave an answer to an unanswerable problem and gave you and I blessedness when we should have had cursedness. Praise God for that. That the blessing of Abraham might pass on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So much so that in the book of Revelation, one of the seven blessed promises of the book of Revelation is this. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, saith the Lord, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Wow. Did you hear that? The greatest expression of the curse in our lives is physical death, or ultimately, if a person is not walking with God, the second death, which is both soul and body. Think of that. So death is the sign of the curse, and yet the most terrible thing that could happen to you in this world becomes the most wonderful thing if you're a child of God, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it did not say, cursed are the dead which die in the Lord. It doesn't say you're a recipient of the curse because your physical body has to die because you have a promise of the resurrection. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. So part of the blessing is no more striving and part of the blessing is a reward unfolding in front of you. Isn't that tremendous? Praise God. Now, I want to go through very quickly the statements that Jesus made in his first main sermon that all begin with the word blessed, and then I'll close. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's also referred to this particular portion of it as the Beatitudes or Proclamations of Blessedness. Isn't that wonderful that Jesus started his three-and-a-half-year ministry journey by proclaiming blessedness over those that would respond to him? Listen to it now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, not will be, but is the kingdom of heaven. You can experience heaven on earth if you have poverty of spirit, which is a recognition that you are bankrupt in Adam and in great need of a Savior. And if you have that longing in your heart for the fulfillment that only God can give. You thirst, you hunger for him. That's poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. To mourn over your sins, to mourn over your failures, is not an end in itself. It is a pathway to happiness. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, blessed means happy. That doesn't make logical sense, does it? But if you repent, if you mourn over your sins, God cancels it. You're justified, cleansed of all guilt, reckoned righteous in the sight of heaven as if it never took place. No wonder happiness follows closely behind. Then blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meek means quick to submit to God and quick to forgive others. And he said, you'll inherit the earth if you have meekness. That means not just in an ultimate sense of ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom to come right here in this world, but it means inheriting influence while you're here. 
Then blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're filled with righteousness, that's not something you do. That's something he does. He's the filler. You're the filly. You hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know that if you try within yourself to attain it, your righteousness is just filthy rags. So God fills you with his own righteousness. In fact, it's called the gift of righteousness, where he creates a new creation person inside of you that is created in righteousness and true holiness. That new born son of God within you is saturated with righteousness. No wonder you have a new set of moral standards. That's wonderful. Then the next one is blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Why did God let mercy come after righteousness? Because quite often when people start walking in righteousness, they go beyond the proper boundary and become self-righteous. So God wants to balance it out. And he says, even if you're righteous, be merciful to those who aren't. All right. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Then blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when you marry righteousness with mercy, you get a pure heart. And that's when you see God move in your life. Not just seeing God in spectacular glory at the end of the age when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again, but you'll see God move in your prayer life, in your relationship with him, in your activity among your loved ones and friends. You'll see God moving in relationships and in circumstances. I want to see God. And he told me the way to do that is to have a pure heart. And he also told you and me that that's a sign of blessedness, an outcome of blessedness. And then when you fulfill all those criteria, you become a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. So once you have these qualities of character in your life, poverty of spirit, mourning over the past and its errors, meek surrender to God, hungering and thirsting after righteous mercifulness toward others, a pure heart, then God says you're ready to produce peace in a world full of strife. So all about giving is the emphasis again. You're blessed not because you're peaceful. You're blessed because you're a peacemaker. Do you see the emphasis? I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so you'll be a blessing. I'm going to bring you into a place of blessedness so you can impart that blessing in the form of peace. But don't think everybody's going to like you. I wish he'd have left out the eighth beatitude, but he didn't because he wanted to be honest with us. And the eighth one says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because righteousness and peace kiss each other, the Bible says. And if you've learned the value of hungering after righteousness, part of the way you become a peacemaker is to give other people a righteous standard. But not everyone wants that righteous standard. And so they'll fight against you, not because of you, but because of what you stand for. That's the recoiling of the enemy, or I call it, I call it a backlash of the demonic world. When you're advancing the kingdom of God, there's a backlash of the demonic against you. But I don't care. Jesus said 
when men revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice. He didn't say get depressed. He didn't say get discouraged. He said rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets before you. And so, in other words, if your blessedness attracts a curse from the devil and his demons and the people that are influenced by them, and they try and curse your life in their way on one level or another, you can shout the victory because the more they curse you, the more God blesses you. So much so that it overflows into your heavenly reward. So just tell them, bring it on, man. You're just increasing my reward in eternity. So that's a wonderful part of what it is to be the blessed of the Father. And we're going to continue in this theme next week, but a little bit different shift because I'm going to share with you that scripture where it says, even as you were a curse among the nations, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. I'm going to talk about how God turns curses into blessings. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.